Well, good morning. How is everybody? <laughs> All right, we're going to get the rain out real quick. How is everybody? Good. Some of you are like, man, Sean, I swam here today. Well, thank you for swimming. I'm so glad that you didn't drown this morning. You made it to Southcrest, and this is a great, great day to be here. We're in our series called Come Alive, and the last couple of weeks have been awesome. Have you enjoyed going through the book of Acts? Hasn't it been awesome? I mean, just looking at the stories that are in the first couple chapters of Acts, it kind of just kind of lights up a whole new fire in you. And listen, I love the stories that I'm hearing from some of you that are reading through the reading plan with us. Some of you are like, Sean, this is the first time I've ever written, uh, read through the book of Acts. And I want to tell you, man, I hope that God's changing you. Let us know how the scripture's changing you. Send us an email. We would love uh, to just give you a big shout out for that. That's awesome. If you have your Bible today, I want you to turn to the book of Acts chapter 9. We're going to be in Acts 9 today. And uh, from the very beginning, we've been kind of quoting this because this is so true. The world is waiting for us to come alive, right? The world is waiting for us to come alive. It's like they're almost begging us to say, man, if Jesus is really your everything, like let him out of you. And if he comes out of you, then I want to see it. Like I want to see Jesus through your life. I don't want to just hear your, your religious talk. Like I really want to see Jesus through you. And our world, man, they're so waiting for that. And so week one, we talked about how the Holy Spirit, when Jesus left and he went to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit to this earth that when those who would believe on the name of Jesus would trust Christ, the Holy Spirit would come into us and make us come alive. In fact, we said this, that we become dynamically different. Like, it's not business as normal. Like, it's not the same. Like, we are changed by that. And then last week, we talked about how that change in us causes us not to stay inside, but to move our lives outside. Like, the world is waiting for us. And so, you remember the story, right? Literally, they went from day to day, and they went from house to house, and they went from public place. And the Bible says that the Word of God continued to spread because instead of just getting in their holy huddle, the Bible says they were literally pushed out because of the persecution that was around them. And I think, you know, that's what our world's waiting for us. Because you look at our world, like we got some janky things going on in our world right now. You think about that? There's some crazy stuff going on in our world right now. There's some people doing some weird things, okay? And so you look at the world and the culture, and it ought to push us out like those believers did in Acts chapter 5. That literally we go day to day in the public places and from house to house, and we never stop proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah, and so I'm glad you're here today. I just kind of caught you up a little bit. If you haven't listened to any of the messages, that's what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. And that's kind of what we've been focusing on. But as we bend today into this chapter that we're going to look at in Scripture, I have a, a really deep question I want to ask you to start out this message today. How do I experience change in my life? I mean, have you ever thought about that? Like, how do I really experience change in my life. And here's the thing I know about change. We all want change. Nobody in this room wants to live a humdrum life or nobody in this room wants to say, you know, I hope I don't improve from today to the day I die. I hope I just stay the same. All of us want to change. I mean, here's the thing. We want to be richer. We want to be smarter. We want to be mo more influential. We want to be skinnier. Can I get an amen? 
All right, last service I got a hallelujah when I said that, all right? It got charismatic in here. It was awesome. But I want to tell you this. We all want the errs. The errs are, I want more of this. I want to be richer. I want to be healthier. I want to be more influential. Listen, we want change. And as much as we say sometimes I don't want to change, what we really want on the inside is to really change. And when you think about your life and you think about our world, our world wants change. How do I know that? Last year in America, Americans bought $10 billion worth of self-help books. $10 billion. That's a whole lot of Tony Robbins. Okay? That's a whole lot of, you know, how to make a million dollars in 30 minutes or less. Because we're obsessed with change. How do I really see change happen in my life? And the crazy thing about it is this. We all have theories of change about our life. We all do. We all have theories of change. If you go online and you just look up theories of change, there's all different types of things. They say, you need to find your desired outcome, and then you need to go back to what you are right now and discover your present reality, and then you try to take these little steps to bring about the needed change to get to your desired outcome. And that's a theory of change. You know what the other theory of change we have about our life is? That if I will just make a key decision... A key decision, where I go to work, where my kids go to school, who I marry. If I could just make a key decision in my life, my life will be different. You know what another one is? Another theory of change is if I was just more disciplined, right? Like, if I could be more disciplined, like, if I could decide not to go to Krispy Kreme, my life would be different. I could change, right? So we think that the theory of change comes from our discipline or the idea that somehow if I have this opportunity given to me, right? Because a lot of people say, I can't change who I am because of the opportunity I was born into. And our world kind of buys that theory of change. We look at people and we put them on a socioeconomic scale and say, this person will never be above this and this person will always be afforded this. And that's one theory we have about change. And then the other theory of change is about our experiences. Like if I can go out in my life and I can have these types of experiences, I will be changed forever by the experiences that I have in my life. And so what we do is we go out and we just, we just lap up every experience we can have in our life because we want change. But have you ever felt like Every one of those theories of change, as good as they may sound and as much as they promise, they kind of leave you halfway there. Almost at a place where you say, you begin to change, right? So you say, hey, I'm going to lose weight. So you lose 30 pounds, and maybe you really need to lose 50, but you lose 30 and you stop halfway and you say, that's good enough. Until a year from now when it's not good enough. Right? So you say, hey, I'm just going to work this job until I get to this, this level of life in my life. And so you get to the place where your job gets you to the good enough phase of life. And then all of a sudden you realize that good enough is no longer good enough. Isn't it weird how life is that way? I mean, it's like we're stuck 
We want to have good enough change, but yet good enough change never really changes us. It never transforms us. It's kind of like when we were children, right? We learned that this little caterpillar, ugly-looking little deal that goes around, goes in the cocoon, and he wraps around, and all of a sudden he comes out a butterfly. And what we do is we just kind of stop in the cocoon, and we say, my life is good enough. And good enough change is usually not enough. You know, Jesus spoke to this. this there was one moment in Scripture, Matthew chapter 5, They call this the Sermon on the Mount. He had all these people gathered around him and they were listening to him teach. And he was talking about things related to to God's kingdom, like the kingdom of God. And he was explaining to them this life. And he began to tell them about how they needed to change. And this is what he said in Matthew 5, 48. He said, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Yeah, I think like you think. I'm like, oh my gosh, Jesus, I am so not perfect. How in the world am I going to do that? And so they were looking at Jesus and they're like, Jesus, you just said be perfect. Like, be perfect because God is perfect. And here's what Jesus was saying. He was saying, listen, you need to understand that your theory of change, your righteousness, the things that you are going to do outwardly to try to change you inwardly, you're going to just keep failing at. And so I want to set a standard for you so that you can understand you can't do it by yourself. Let me explain. Early 1990s, uh, I was introduced to the game of golf. We have any golfers here today? Any that will admit you're a golfer? (laughs) Yeah, um, golfing's a very frustrating sport, by the way. It's not for the faint of heart. And anyone who says it's easy, uh, you're a liar, okay? And uh, so I became a golfer, right? I bought me the clubs. I got the, yeah, and I'm a left-handed golfer, so I swing left-handed. I know I swing backwards and all this other stuff. And man, I had some guys on staff, some other pastors, this church I was working at, they took me out and they taught me how to play golf. Okay, they taught me how to play. They taught me how to find my ball in the weeds is what they did. Okay, and so I'm out here and I'm learning how to play golf. And so one Friday I call my buddy Russ and I say, hey, Russ, let's go golf. And we went out to this course called the Creeks and uh, and we went out to the Creeks to play. And on hole number three, there was a hundred and thirty six yard par three. And it was kind of a windy day, and so I got my six iron out, and I pull out, and I hit off the tee box on this par three, and my ball goes straight up in the air, and it lands on this elevated green about 12 to 13 inches above the hole, spins backwards, and drops in the hole. Totally ruined my game of golf. Like, I got my name in the paper. And the music guy at the church I was working at, he had been playing for like 10 years and he had never hit a hole in one. He's still bitter to this day. I got my name in the paper, got my name in a drawing to win a million dollars, didn't win. And, uh, but here's the thought, okay? Because I knew what the standard was, it ruined my golf game. And here's why. Because every time I got up there to hit that ball, I somehow expected that the standard was to hit off that tee, land in that hole every single time. And you know what? Good enough was no longer good enough. Some of you say, Sean, I wish I had that story. I wish I could say that is why my golf game is horrible. Okay? 
Maybe you have sin in your life. I don't know. But the truth is, we all have theories of change. And Jesus, when he called this moment out in their life, what he was saying to them was this. Listen, guys, once you know the standard, you try to bring all these theories of change into your life of how you can reach the standard. And somehow you get yourself to a point where you realize the greatest change happens in my life when I realize I can't change I can't change myself. In fact, I will say it this way. If you talk to any addict who's been set free from their addiction, that'll be the number one thing they tell you. I came to a place in my life where I had to empty myself and realize that only God could set me free. And at that point where I realized the change wasn't in me, that's when I began to experience freedom. What is your theory of change? What is it you're banking on in your life? I mean, we do the same spiritually, right? We come to church and we see a person and we look at their life and they go, wow, that person is fully alive. Like that person's on fire and we look at their life and here's what we do. I want to do what they're doing. And so we begin to behave like a person that we think is alive. And we say, hey, what books are you reading? And we start reading the books they're reading. Hey, what do you do? Well, I go to the 11 o'clock service. Well, I'm coming to 11 o'clock service. And, and then you, they do all these outside things and they're never really changed. And I want to say this because I've done this now for 26 years. The most frustrated people that sit in chairs in churches every single week are the people that wish and hope that they never get found out that there's nothing inside. What's your theory of change? Is it behavior modification? Is it religion? Is it who you're hanging out with? That Jesus is going to change you by osmosis? Acts chapter 9 tells us a story about how we can truly be changed because we see this individual, his name is Saul. Later on in scripture, he's known as Paul, the greatest modern missionary to ever come out of the scriptures. And he literally, he turned the world upside down. But at this moment in scripture, he's referred to as Saul. Listen to what the Bible says about him in verses one through three. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. See, Paul had heard that there were some believers who had radically come alive in the city of Damascus. And he was so threatened by it, he wanted to go snuff it out. He wanted to go kill them. So that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's what they called the believers back then. They called them the way. Whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Who was Saul? The Bible tells us that this man named Saul, in chapter 7, witnessed one of the most horrific deaths of all time in Scripture. A guy who was a Christ follower by the name of Stephen. Stephen had come alive and the Holy Spirit had just lit him up inside and and he was out telling people about Jesus. In fact, he couldn't stand it any longer. He like so went out 
Like he just didn't want to stay in. He so went out that he literally got into a crowd of Sanhedrin and Pharisee followers and began to tell them, listen, this Jesus whom you crucified has come back to life. And now we are alive because he went to the Father and the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And you can't change yourself. And only Jesus can change you. And the Bible tells us that Saul was standing in that crowd when that mob decided to take Stephen, take him outside of the city, and begin to stone him to death. Now, it's one thing to watch someone murdered. It's another thing to watch someone stoned to death. But can you imagine every thump of every stone? Saul was there, and he watched it. He saw it. The Bible says in Acts 7, he even gave approval of it. He looked at the men around and he said, yes, kill this guy. Kill him. You know what else we learn about Saul? He grew up in a town called Tarsus. Tarsus was just north of Jerusalem. And Tarsus was a university town. In, in Tarsus was one of the major three universities there of that day, kind of like the Harvard and the Princeton and Yale of our day. One of those major universities was in Tarsus. And so he grew up very educated. He grew up around a lot of very smart people, very intellectual people. We also know from history that his father was a Roman citizen, but he was also a Jew and a Pharisee, which was very uncommon. So here's the deal. He could claim, hey, listen, I'm a Roman citizen because of my dad, but my dad, he's a Jew and a Pharisee, so he had the best of both worlds. He had a lot of street cred. He had a lot of credentials. He had the pedigree in place. We also know from history that he had a trade. He was a tent maker. And back in those days, anyone who was that skilled to be a tent maker, that was not a slush job. That was someone who, who had some prominence. In other words, he, he had people looking at him going, wow, you're not just some loser. Like, you are a skilled person. But history tells us that at the age of 13, Saul left Tarsus and he went to Jerusalem to study under one of the top leaders and teachers in the Sanhedrin. He was a teacher by the name of Galgamil. You say, how does that name sound familiar? Last week we talked about him. Remember when the believers got so stirred up that they began to go out and they began to create a ruckus and persecution broke out? There was one scholar in the Sanhedrin who stood up and said, men, I've seen this happen before. People claim to know somebody and they claim that he can change lives and they go out and, and it just kind of dies off. But let me tell you something, men. If this is of God, you can't stop it. That was Galgamil. He studied under him from the age of 13, and then when he got older, he moved back to Tarsus, probably around the time that Jesus' ministry came on the scene. And so he would have been away when Jesus was doing many of the miracles. He probably didn't see everything that the apostles saw, and so here's the thought. He had heard about Jesus, but he'd never met him. In fact, we know from history he went back to become one of the leaders in the synagogue there in Tarsus. And he became very prominent and very well known. But I want you to hear this today. Something happened in Saul's life when he stood there and he saw Stephen 
look up to heaven and say, God, please don't do anything to these people for what they're doing to me. And he saw Stephen be martyred for his faith. I can't help but believe that that same effect that it had on Saul, it had on the leaders of ISIS when they took these Christians out on the shore and they beheaded them in front of the world and they put it on YouTube and these guys are sitting here. Listen, there are hundreds of ISIS soldiers that witnessed somebody die for Jesus. You don't walk away changed. That's where Saul was. He had seen this guy who was fully alive, Stephen. And he had never, get this, he had probably never seen another believer like him. The world is waiting for us to come alive. Because the most hardened criminal and the most religious, church-going person is watching. So Saul, Stephen's death probably played a huge role And what led Saul to Damascus because he knew that there were believers in Damascus who were creating a ruckus. And so he wanted to go there and he wanted to kill. Verse 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Isn't it amazing that Jesus got a a guy who was a religious person, he puts him on a road, kind of gets him away from all of the ruckus, all of the riding, all of the persecution, and he arrests him. And in that moment, Jesus forever changed his life. He forever changed his life. Verse 7, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. And Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. He was blind. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Let me ask you a question. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Imagine for Paul, outspoken, smart, leader, Go get her. Blind. Probably sitting in a room for three days. And I have to ask this question What do you think Paul's thoughts were? What do you think Saul's thoughts were? Maybe he thought this I've gotten this all wrong. Where did I miss it? Maybe he began to have an upheaval of a theory of change in his life and he realized, I've never been changed. Maybe he sat there and thought about all the different ways he had attempted to change his life only to realize there's nothing inside. I mean, think about it. Saul, he was religious. The Bible tells us in Philippians, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. 
I mean, he was a five-star Hebrew. He was no slacker when it came to religion. He was faultless to a T. The Bible also says he was passionate. He was passionate. In Philippians, it says, as for zeal, I persecuted the church. This was his testimony about himself. He said, I was so zealous I literally killed people. Like I stood and watched people who claim the name of Jesus die and take their last breath and have concussions and get, get thrown down and stoned to death. Like I saw that and I was passionate about it. Have you ever been passionately wrong? I have. <laughs> yeah. If you've been married long enough, you've got to admit it, you've been passionately wrong. Tracy and I will be driving down the road and say, hey, look at that black car. She goes, that's a blue car. I said, no, that's a black car. I was like, no, that's a blue car. Suddenly we pass it and it's like, it's a new shade of midnight blue. You know, it'd be one thing if we could have a discussion or a fight about something that really changed the world, but we're going to have a fight about the color of the car. I've been passionately wrong. (laughs) And as silly as that is, listen, Paul, he was passionate he was wrong. But you know what else we know about Paul's life? He was empty inside. He was trying to fill something in his life that he couldn't find on the inside. He was empty. You see, religion is our attempt to worship something. That's what it is. If you go to Google and you Google the word religion, it means the belief in and worship of a superhuman controlling power, especially a personal God or gods. That's what, that's what worship is according to Google. But what happens is when we attempt to worship something that may not be real or may not really be there, our hearts become doubtful and they become empty. And that's where Saul was. I like the way Kerry Shook says this. He's the pastor of the Woodlands Church in Houston, Texas. He says, religion stresses conformity, trying to change us from the outside, but a relationship with Jesus is intimate and personal and changes us from the inside. Saul was changed by who he met, not what he did. Because what he did was religious and it was passionate, but it was empty. It was empty. I mean, even think about it. When, when Jesus arrested him on this road to Damascus, Jesus brought him literally to the ground. And here's what Paul said. He asked him, he said, who are you, Lord? Who are, who are you? Some of you, you lay your head on your pillow every night and you ask that question. God, I know about you but I have to know who are you? Who are you, Jesus? Because your theory of change never fits and changes you good enough. I thought about it, you know, in our lives, we, we take our theories of change and here's what we do. Here, here's our theory of change. I just want to be good enough to make it to heaven. Right? I mean, let me just boil the water out of the pot. That's what most Americans want. I mean, we, we want to make it like, 
And we always say it all the time, like, God, when, when you're ushering everyone into heaven, like, I may get there and I may feel the gate hit my rear end, like, last one, okay? But as long as I make it in, man, I'm good. Is that your theory of change? That's the world's theory of change. I just want to make it in, right? I just want to, I just don't want to have to suffer like the other side, right? Where the other people are going, like, God, I just want to be, I, I just, just, just get me over the fence, Jesus, And that's our theory of change. And the crazy thing is, just like Saul, there's really only one theory of change that can change us. If you have a pen, I want you to write this down. I cannot change me, but I can be changed. Remember what I said? We get to a good place in our life when we realize I can't change myself. I cannot change me, but I can be changed. Verse 17 tells us that when Saul was blind and he was sitting in that room waiting, that God began to speak to another believer by the name of Ananias. And Ananias came to where he was and he fought with God a little bit because he said, God, do you realize that Saul's a Christian killer? And he says, I don't care. I want you to go tell him that, uh, that I've changed him and that he needs to believe fully on me and he needs to like give his life to me because I'm gonna show him how much he's gonna suffer for me. In verse 17, it says, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, I love that, the Lord, Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he could see again and he got up and he was baptized. Okay, that's an amazing moment. Think about it. Here's Saul, Christian killer, three days, three days in a room blind cannot see. And I can't even imagine what it would be like humanly to be blind for three days. But the Bible says that this guy came and he sealed the deal with him. He showed him that Jesus was the one who had arrested him and that Jesus was the one who could change him. And the Bible says that the scales fell off of Saul's eyes. That would be like the most hardcore atheist walking on this stage in front of all of you and saying, Jesus is the only thing that can change me. I'm believing in him. And he said, I want you to take me right over there to that baptism. And I want to tell all these people who changed me from the inside out. That's that moment. It's so a Saul in this moment. He realized I can't be changed or I can be changed, but I can't change me. And what's crazy is we know that in Saul's life, he left this moment and he literally became so radical and so alive for Jesus that he went to all these different churches and he wrote them letters to encourage them and to help them reach more people. One of those was the church at Corinth. And at the church at Corinth, he told them many, in fact, he he wrote two whole books of writings just to the church at Corinth. But in the moment where he's talking about how we can be brought back into a relationship with God, how we find reconciliation in our life, how we can really be changed, listen to what he says, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here, exclamation point. I can't change me. 
but I can be changed. He said, if any man is in Christ, Jesus inside of me has the power to change me. He's the only one that can bring me from dead back to life. And I want to say to you today, listen, no matter how religious you are, how good you are, how much you fit into the mold, how much you, you, you want to adjust yourself to the believers you're hanging with, you'll never have change that's good enough until Jesus lives inside of you. You know what else I learned when I look at his life? To change outwardly, I must be willing to examine myself inwardly. You know, there was another writing that Paul gave to the church at Corinth. In fact, it's later in 2 Corinthians. It's in chapter 13, verse 5. But Paul, he's giving some last commands to the church. And listen to what he says. He says, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. I have to think that Paul looked back at that moment in his life when Jesus arrested him on a road and he knew the difference in what it meant to try to change on the outside but never be changed on the inside. To change outwardly, I must be willing to examine myself inwardly. You know what Paul says about this test? He says it's a pass or fail exam. Now, I remember being in college. I was like, yes. There's no gun, there's, there's, this isn't going to kill my GPA. Like, I'm going to take this test, and I'm either going to pass it or I'm going to fail it. So I would take the test, and, and I would go in with this freedom of, I don't have to worry about making an 82 or an 85 or a 91. I don't have to worry about an A, B, C, or D. All I got to worry about is if I pass. <laughs> and Paul said, this is a pass or fail exam. You got to ask yourself the question, do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? There's no curve. There's no do-over. It's pass or fail. Are you willing to look inside and examine what's really inside of you? And is what inside of you is that what makes you alive in Jesus? Because here's the deal, religion, it can't, it, it can't do that for you. Trying harder, morals, I can't change you. I mean, it's, it's kind of like this, okay? So like, I, I pull this off, like, I, every time I do this, some of you go, oh my gosh, he's gonna smash something, okay? Now listen, you never know what's in this box. Like literally, like I could open the top of this box and there could be a large raccoon who could leap out of this box right now and leap into some of your laps and you would have cardiac arrest, all right? And I will not be doing mouth to mouth. I just want to say that, okay? But I will say this, you don't know what's inside this thing. But this crate is kind of like our life because we think that if I can change myself, I'll be different. And so that's why we bought, you know, all the billions dollars worth of self-help and, and, and we've choked ourselves on Tony Robbins and I'm not picking on Tony. I think he's a great speaker, but I just want to say this today, like all my attempts to change me fail. 
So here's what we do then. We say, okay, well, I can't change myself, so I'm going to look to religion. I'm going to begin to worship, and I'm going to attempt to worship a God that I may know exists, but I don't really know him. And so I'm going to do, listen, Sean, I'm going to be a really good Southerner. I'm going to start attending church. And I'm going to do more than just go on Easter and Christmas. I'm going to go once a month. Woo, I'm going to be different. I'm going to be changed. And so we come in and we're like, okay, like, wait, hey, hey, Sean, I need you to preach to me because, like, I need to be inspired because your inspiration and what Jesus is doing in you seems to fuel me. And so I want to be inspired because religion is my attempt to, and and you know what, Sean, I'm going to buy Jesus calling and I'm going to read it every day. Listen, Jesus has been calling for years. Some of you need to pick up the phone. You'll get that later. So here's what we do. Money. Sean, if I had the right opportunity, my life would be different. My kids could go to a better school. They would have a better GPA if they went to a better school. Like we could, we wouldn't have to spend as much money on, on trying to figure out who's going to tow the car because we could afford nicer cars. And so I want all this money in my life because it's going to afford to me opportunities. And that's what's going to change my life. And so if that's not enough, then suddenly we go, okay, all these other things I've tried. So here's what I want. I want power. I want people to know who I am. I want to have a name for myself. I want to find myself and, and not only change myself, but I want people to respect me. And so we try all these things to gain power in this world to change us. And we have nothing to change us. And so at the end of our life, all we do is we just realize that, that literally all we've done, all we've done is discovered there's nothing inside. There's nothing inside. Sean, I want to change. There's nothing inside. God wants to rescue you from the nothing inside of your life. And until Jesus comes in you, there's nothing inside of you to ever change you. You bow your heads with me today. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I want to be really honest with you today. There's some of you here today that this message hits you right between the heart, and here's why. Because you're still trying to change you. And I love you enough that I want to tell you that there's a God in heaven who sent his son Jesus, who was perfect, even though you weren't perfect, and he came and lived a sinless life and died on a cross for your sins and for my sins. And when I was 17 years old, this was my life. I was an empty box. I had athletics, I had popularity, I had this, I had that. I was living in a middle income home, but I was empty inside. And God sent his son to save me from my empty inside. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, some of you here today, you have never, ever truly been changed by Jesus. I talked to a guy after the first service. He said, I've never heard the message like that. And he gave his life to Christ right here in this room. 
There are some of you today, Jesus wants to change you from the inside out. And he wants to say, listen, quit trying to change all the externals. You let me change the internal and you will see total transformation. So if you're here today and you say, Sean, I've never made that decision. I've been positive. I've been religious. I believe even in the Bible. I believe that God exists. Listen, the Bible says in James 2.19, you believe there is one God good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So it's not enough just to believe that God exists until Jesus comes in you. There's no transformation out of you. The world's waiting for you to come alive. To come alive, it's through Jesus. If that's you today and you've never made this decision, you can't point to a time, a place, or a moment that you know 100% sure that you have given your life to Christ, I want to give you that opportunity before we leave today. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if that's you today, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Just say, dear God, thank you for bringing me here today. I believe, Jesus, that you are the one person that can make me come alive. Jesus, today I invite you into my life. I ask you to forgive my sin. And I ask you to be the Lord and the Savior of my life. Like, I want you to own me, Jesus. And today I'm giving you my life. And I'm asking you to change me from the inside out. Jesus, today, I place all my faith and all my trust in you.